After more than two years of COVID-related shutdowns, much has already been said about the impact the pandemic has had on the private equity industry and its ability to carry on as usual. But as innovation continues apace within the private markets, it's worth shining a light on the up-and-comers that will take the industry into the next phase of its development. Private Equity International's recently published Future 40 list recognises the best and brightest talent across the globe aged under 40. For this episode, we have three rising stars from the fundraisers category to talk about the most significant trends they're seeing in the market, as well as the things that have made them successful in their careers thus far. I'm Hannah Roberts with PEI, and welcome to Spotlight. Uh, just to start, could I please ask you to go around and say your name, your role and where you work for the listeners? Yeah, so Ian Flavel, I'm a principal at Reed Partners based in New York and where I lead our US advisory team. My name is Enlos Crivelius. I'm a director at Verdain. I'm based in Stockholm. My name is Bastignon. I'm head of investor coverage at DPI. Great, thank you so much. Yeah, so just to jump right in, the industry has undergone uh, notable changes in the last few years, ranging from regulatory scrutiny and COVID-19 disruption to a growing focus on areas such as ESG and DE&I. What developments do you think have had the biggest impact on your role and uh, how have you adjusted to that? So I think, you know, from from where I sit, there's obviously been a lot of changes, as you mentioned, over the last five years. But, you know, the largest one for me is just the remarkable growth we're seeing in private equity. And we've seen part of this great rotation away from liquids to illiquids. What that has meant is just the, the competition levels, both on the deal side and the fundraising side, has just gone up and up. And so now, you know, we're no longer in a market where we're filling up empty shelves, it's congested. Uh, and so we we see that, you know, there's a real need to tell a clear story. And so, you know, what that means for me and for my day job as a fundraising advisor is, you know, that there's a huge emphasis on the equity story, on how we're positioning our managers, how we're bringing out those, those spikes of differentiation in a world that's just more competitive. Mm. Is that the experience as well at Verdain, Eleanor? So I agree with Ian, and I think it, from my perspective, uh, it boils down to communication. I think that's where it's been a real big difference. So from my combined LP and GP perspective in this matter, you can see both the increased demand of transparency, detailed reporting, etc., but obviously also partly due to COVID or accelerated by COVID, I should say. The role means that you have to be very professional. You need to be uh, know your data, know everything that's going around so you can be swift in providing that transparency. And also during times of COVID, when you cannot use the traditional ways of meeting in person, I think uh, many firms have done a great job finding ways to bridge that gap and being able to communicate in nonverbal ways and also maybe with a broader audience. I think we're now in a position where we're coming back to in-person meetings, but we actually did a number of great things as an industry during COVID and uh, taking some of the best things from what worked during COVID combined with what we did before that work. And I think one example that I would like to see more of both in my current role, but also uh, in my previous role as an LP is that for a hybrid AGM, for example, suddenly, you know, you can have two people that travel to the AGM, but you can at the same time have more members of the team dial in. And if it's different time zones, et cetera, you can always make it to the AGM. So I think that's been a big impact on communication. I think uh, it alludes to Ian's point that, 
it also creates a demand to be really clear on your story and, and what you are, are representing. Do you think the pandemic has changed anything on that front? I think it's a, become clear that it's a team effort and you really have to be sophisticated on how you report and uh, follow up. And I think one example that we recently discovered was a great uh, example is the war in Ukraine, where we, you know, within hours, we had questions from LPs on what are the effects on your underlying companies. And we could, within days, come back to them saying, these are the effects in Ukraine, Belarus and Russia. And yeah, I think data driven is probably one point that I would highlight here. Definitely. And I would agree on that. And and the trend and the changes that we are seeing at our end, it's threefold. I think first, it's really the influx of liquidity. There's been a lot of capital coming into the industry, as Ian said. And the impact of that has been a lot of very quick first close, a lot of very quick fundraise. And it's interesting because if you look at the way investor relation and fundraising was done a couple of years ago, it was a bit like a political campaign where you come in, uh, you raise money, hopefully you deliver performance. And then some of the investors are seeing you after three or four years, sometimes a shorter period. Whereas now it's, it's a constant communication. It's a constant engagement and it's a true partnership. So. There's no on and off cycle, really. Everything is blurred between pre-marketing, marketing, delivering performance, and it's very, very engaging. The third really change or trend, it's more around ESG. At DPI, we've been doing ESG from the very beginning for, for more than 15 years. But the reality now is that it's at the forefront, and it's really something that in terms of reporting, in terms of metrics, you need to be able to engage investor ways. I think we just seen the beginning of the importance of ESG and sustainability. There's a lot of uh, GPs and LPs that have done it for quite some time and done it quite well. But in truth, we're all on a journey and we all need to do it together, collaborative as an industry with some firms leading the way and setting standards. But here, the increased collaboration, I think, will benefit uh, everyone. And I think to improve on reporting, to improve on what's actually meaningful data, what KPIs are really key, etc. It takes a lot of industry collaboration, but then those firms, and I believe at least Dane is one of them, that have done some things right here, also need to be able to share, and as well as LPs being uh, sharing their experience on what works for them. And I think here, uh, obviously, digitalization and increased reporting, etc., is great and it helps. But I think we have a lot more to do. And I think private equity has, as an industry, has a great position here to prove that we're part of the solution. Definitely. And I think investors are getting more sophisticated in terms of what they want to see when it comes to ESG and impact. And we can see that also with the development of more specialist funds. And there's also a lot more ESG work being embedded on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I'd say, look, sitting in the US, but working for a firm that represents a lot of European funds, I think historically, you know, ESG has been, they're 
by a lot of the, the great European firms. But increasingly in the US, it's becoming a major focus area. And I think, you know, if we look at the next, you know, five years, just in terms of not only regulation catching up, but also just LP demand for standards to be met, for reporting to be improved. Um, we're seeing that happen, not just with the larger firms, but with smaller, you know, more emerging lower mid-market firms. There's just an increased level of scrutiny around ESG. Yes, now ESG is definitely a big trend. Is there anything else that uh, anyone can think about that you think is particularly significant? We're seeing consolidation of GP relationships within LP portfolios, a trend of you know more dollars to fewer GPs. Historically, I think you'd see a GP would raise a 10-year fund every three to five years. The, the LP-GP relationships would be more passive. And now we're just seeing an increasing sophistication of GPs as you know, asset management businesses as they're trying to capture more share of wallet. And so what that means is we're seeing more by way of platform extensions, you know, GP-led transactions for GPs wanting to hold on to their star assets for longer, a growth in co-invest, you know, GPs even selling stakes in their own businesses. Uh, and so the variety of things that GPs can do today is vast and growing. And so, you know, f f for us at Reed, the, you know, the way we think about this is how can we be your business development partner to maximize your franchise value in the context of all of these opportunities? It makes my job a lot more interesting. And, you know, this trend is certainly something that's happening today, but I think it's going to accelerate over the next five years. And just to look forward now uh, to the future, how would you like to see the PE industry evolve over the course of your careers? Uh, first one being the industry being more inclusive, being more open to different experiences, different ways of uh, looking at things. And then I think that will also open up to a broader recruitment pool. Uh, I think there's a lot of talent out there who has a perception of our industry that might not be actually what it is. And there's obviously a lot of changes right now, but I do think over a five-year period or during my lifetime anyways, I hope there will be a different uh, environment coming out of it. And then the second one is the increased uh, commitment to climate change and both the fact that we can be part of the solution through our portfolio companies and what we do and the power we have to make a difference to set the tone from how we want to act as owner, as a firm, but also just how, how we are as a GP. And I think coming back to our role, I think LPs are looking a lot more now at what different GPs are standing for in terms of the commitment of uh, the individuals and the people on the firm itself. And here, if the whole industry would come together, and I think that's where we're heading, we are in for a better future. So that I would like to see more of. And now to look back um, a little, what advice would you give to people who are now starting their careers in the private equity industry? My main advice is, you know, for people starting their, their careers in private equity is don't think in the context of the past. The industry you know, has changed beyond recognition during my time in, in, in private equity, and it's going to continue changing and evolving. And so I would just emphasize the importance of getting knowledgeable on the latest trends, forming views, networking, developing knowledge, and then, and then having conviction in those views. This is an industry that rewards creativity, and so just the, the, the ability to absorb everything that's, that's out there. I could not agree more. I think you have to be very curious, and, but also focused at time. 
and the industry is always evolving. So it's important to, to keep learning and to zoom in when needed. So again, that's, that's a lesson for all of us. No one could have predicted what's happened in the last three years uh, and even this year uh, in 2022. So you have to really have bright and open eyes and, and try to capture what's happening. And it's important because we are in a people business first. So you have to listen, you have to engage, and you have to make sure to apply uh, some changes when, when needed. Can I continue on that note? Because I think that was very well said. And I personally, I started off about 50 years ago on the investment side. I've also been on the allocator side and now obviously in fundraising. But I think there's a lot of interesting roles in this industry. I think there's a lot of opportunities. And as both Ian and Basaru already said, it's continuously evolving. Uh, creative is one of the things that uh, this industry has been great at. And just uh, dare to try new opportunities. Raise your hand when there's a chance to learn something new. And don't be too stuck in what you think it used to be or where you should go, but rather where do you want to go where would you fit and just be open to that and um and yeah i guess i guess my next kind of question probably flows into another question really um so i'm quite curious as to what has been your worst day on the job and uh, and how you bounce back from it really because i'm sure lots of lots of listeners you know will have probably been in very similar positions and you know they they kind of want to maybe have a bit of insight into uh what kind of techniques you might use um if you need to bounce back from something and you know did you learn any kind of particularly valuable lesson from those experiences at all it's a very interesting question i think i think if you look at a lot of the difficult days uh, oftentimes they are due to external factors and, and surprises. And, and so when that happens, you have to keep yourself focused on what you're good at and what are your core strengths. I'm from the investment side as well. Uh, and when I started my career 15 years ago, it was actually uh, two weeks before Lehman Brothers. And so it was quite a very interesting and challenging welcome to the industry. And so I had to, to pivot when needed. And I think it's important in your career to, to, to be flexible. I, I'd agree, Bas, that, you know, a lot of the facts in our industry are outside of our control. That doesn't make it easy when things don't go right. And so, you know, I, I guess from my own personal standpoint, we raise a lot of first time funds, new initiatives. And those can be a particular roller coaster because you're you're literally working to to put a new firm in in business, and you know the, the success of that fundraise is so critical, so crucial. And I can remember in, in in the earlier days of my career working on on a first time fundraise, and I didn't necessarily have all the perspective around you know there are ups and downs in in fundraisers. There are things that we can't always control. And things didn't always go the right way. But I guess through a lot of resilience, determination, we always pushed through and were able to get to a successful outcome. And I just say that because I think those experiences from that early part of my career have just been so valuable to me now in terms of how I inform you know, the clients that I advise today. And so, you know, at the time, although it seems hard, you always just need to remember to embrace those challenges and learn what you can from those, those situations. And ask for help from time to time. Uh, it's a team sport, uh, fundraising. So don't feel that you, you need to go at it alone. Sometimes uh, don't be afraid to, to reach out. 
You all have very busy roles, so when it comes to balancing work with your personal life, what do you like to focus on? The importance of enjoying the role, it's a, it's a fast-paced industry. We all work hard. I do believe that you need to also, you know, and everything over the last few years has, has shown us, to, you know, you need to put things into perspective at times. You need to take time off and disconnect. And I was lucky enough last year to be able to take a one-month sabbatical, which is something that we offer employees that the five-year tenure mark. And during the pandemic, I'd had a baby son and, you know, I, I live in the US. None of my family had been able to spend any time with him. So it was kind of scary the, the idea of taking a month out during, you know, what's always a busy period, but through some careful planning and having a, a strong and supportive team, my wife and I were able to go back to the UK, spend some time with our family and, and really kind of switch off for, for a month. And, and what that taught me was, you know, coming back, I was so recharged and, and ready to get going again. And like I'm, I'm, that's an extreme example. I'm not going to take a month off regularly, but it just showed me the, the value of getting that balance. And it's something that I genuinely appreciated. And I agree with my fellow panelists here. I think you both said that you have to like what you do and you have to like who you work with. And increasingly, I think successful firms also realize that you attract talent by having values and a culture which fits with what you're trying to achieve. One learning from me personally is that you have to also decide what is important to you and prioritize after that. There are going to be intense periods and that's just the way it is. But if you know, you know, what works for you, what's really key to you, it's easier to know when to say no, perhaps, and then when to realize that uh, this is a period where we just had to lean in and do what it takes. But given that most of us in this industry do enjoy what we do, it's a bit of a blur in terms of, you know, separating work from pleasure. And I think it's illustrated quite clearly with some of the relationships between GPs and LPs. And there are a lot of, you know, really long-term friendships out there. And given the nature of this industry that is such long-term business, then uh, it's not as straightforward as saying it's work or, or life. I think it's a mix. I'd also be interested to know how important you think that mentoring relationships are, you know, just for bringing along the next generation and maintaining and building up a talent pipeline. I think if you think about this industry, it's very much an apprentice mentorship kind of learning curve. I think it's naturally embedded in how we evolve in our professional roles. I think you barely hear anyone that's become really successful without using or having mentor relationships uh, within the firm or outside the firm or somewhere. I love to see a lot of the initiatives that the industry is doing. We do at Verdane as well, trying to mentor people that haven't chosen their career path yet. So even before university, just to be able to open up the eyes for maybe it's not even the next generation, it's like even earlier because yeah, it's a long-term business and uh, there's a lot to learn in both understanding what the future is to come for us, but for people to, to know that this is a path that uh, you can take. And, and we mentioned earlier inclusivity, we mentioned creativity. And so if you want to have variety of opinion, variety of profile, and people coming into the industry from different backgrounds, you have to include mentoring to make sure that 
you can have someone that perhaps didn't have experience in private equity before, but has transferable skill and is very talented. And you have to take the time to mentor those people so that they can evolve in their career and, and be successful. If you want to learn more about the trends set to impact the market in the coming years, be sure to check out the PEI Future of Private Equity special report, available to download at privateequityinternational.com. The report contains the full Future 40 list, which also features rising stars in the dealmakers, operators, investors and lawyers categories. For PEI, I'm Hannah Roberts. Thanks for listening.